Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. We've been here for a couple of weeks talking about the compassion of Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, Jesus understands what you're going through but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So the first thing that happens when you get a revelation of grace, it will cause you to come boldly to the throne of grace. It will cause you, if you fail, to run to Jesus. Everybody say, Run to Jesus. I think there's far much too far too much focus on sin and weakness and too little focus on who Jesus really is and what he's done. And if when you sin you run from God, it's because you really don't have a revelation of what Jesus has done for you and how much he loves you. Praise God. So the first thing is when you get a revelation of the grace of God, you're gonna run to Jesus. Amen. Now, he says in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them who are out of the way for that he himself is compassed with infirmity. I believe the second thing that happens when we really get a revelation of grace, a revelation of the love of God for us and for other people, we can have compassion on the ignorant. Now, ignorance is not good. The Bible says in Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It says in Isaiah 5, verse 13, they're kept in bondage because they have no knowledge. However, when we understand the grace of God, when we understand the love of God, we can have compassion on ignorant people. And there's a lot of ignorance in the world. (laughs) Amen? And, he says, not only have compassion on the ignorant, but he says, and those who are out of the way. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can look at that term, out of the way. First of all, Jesus said, I am the way... I am the truth and I am the life and no man comes to the Father except by me. So people who are not saved, people who are not in Christ, who've not come to know Christ. Also, the modern English version says he can have compassion on the ignorant and the wayward. Sometimes God has sons and daughters, right? And they go astray. In Luke 15, when Jesus was teaching, he taught, And said there was a man who had a hundred sheep. And one of them, a shepherd, went astray. And the shepherd went and got that one and brought him back. And he rejoiced more over the one who returned than the 99 who were already in the fold. So whether people are ignorant, whether they're not saved, or whether they're saved and they're just out, they're wayward. They've been going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. God still loves them. He can have compassion on the ignorant and those who are out of the way. So two things happen when we get a revelation of grace. 
Number one, we can run to Jesus when we fail. So if you don't run to Jesus when you fail, if you run from God, it's because you don't have a revelation of the grace of God. Number two, when you really get a revelation of God's grace, it will cause you to be compassionate towards ignorant people, unsaved people, and people who are wayward. People who are sons and daughters, but they're just going the wrong way. And sometimes, to be honest with you, that's easier said than done. Praise God. So we started talking about the compassion of Jesus, and it's talking here about Jesus, the great high priest. And we said Jesus taught with compassion. He ministered uh, with compassion. He ministered healing, ministered miracles with compassion. And the Bible says that mercy rejoices against judgment. God's grace is greater than judgment. God's grace is greater than our sin, than our fault, than our failure. Then we talked about not only that, we said, uh, we talked about John in John chapter 13, verse 23. He called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. And when you uh, study the gospel of John and the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John had a revelation of the love of God. And what that caused, it caused him, number one, to see people in a different way. It caused him to look at different things. John's gospel, primarily, he writes about different things than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's because he saw things through the love of God. He had a revelation of the love of God. And when you get a revelation of the love of God, it will change how you see life, and it will change how you see people. Praise God. Today, I want to talk about the compassion of God in us. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost that's given to us. And every one of us as born-again believers have the love of God on the inside of us. A love that's not based on performance, but a love... You know, God loved us while we were still sinners. We have that kind of love, that agape love, that nature of God on the inside of us. Before I do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about the compassion of the Father. You see, you can see the grace of God, you can see the love of God clear throughout the Old Testament. In fact, if you go to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that God did was he made a promise to them of redemption. But not only did he make a promise to them of redemption, then he clothed them with coats of skin. And I have a question for you. Did Adam and Eve's transgression cause God to move away from them? It didn't. God, God came to them, spoke to them. In the cool of the day, they were hiding themselves from God because it's a knowledge of sin that defiles your conscience and causes you to move away from God. And notice they clothed themselves with fig, fig leaves. More than likely, I'm not saying this is absolute gospel, but more than likely what Adam and Eve sold out for was a rotten old fig it wasn't an apple. You know, the Bible calls you the apple of God's eye, and Jesus cursed the fig tree. And they, they, had, they were covering themselves with fig leaves. Amen? 
you know, that, that, that's how the devil is. He promises you something, and it's not what he says it's going to be. He's a liar. But then, after he did that, God clothed them with coats of skins. And what he did, he covered their exposure. Did you know what that is? What the blood of Jesus does for us. The Bible talks about he is the atonement or he is the propitiation for our sins. And when you study that out in the Greek, it means he is the covering for our sins. How many of you glad that your sins have been covered? And if you really understand what Hebrews is talking about, the sacrifice that Jesus made, Jesus' blood was a payment. It was a covering for all sins of all people at all times. So he, he made the promise of redemption, right? Then he covered them, covered their exposure. God's not into exposing people, regardless. Whether you think he is, that's not his heart. He says, he who confesses his sins will find mercy. But he who, if you're trying to hide your sin, he says, they'll find you out, Right? You'll not prosper. But God covers our exposure. And then he put them out of the garden and he put an angel with a flaming sword to guard the way of the tree of life. And really, it's an act of God's grace. It's an act of God's mercy because he did not want them to eat of that tree of, of life and live forever in a fallen state. It's really an act of the grace of God. You go a little bit farther, right? So that's in Genesis 3. In Genesis chapter 3, or Genesis chapter 6, God came down because man was living by his knowledge of good and evil, and God saw that the thoughts of man were only continually evil. Do you know what? Our knowledge of good and evil, our consciousness of sin defiles us. Many times what we're preaching in the church is more a knowledge of sin than a knowledge of Jesus. The Bible actually says by the law is the knowledge of sin, right? And then you go a little bit farther in the life of Abraham, and you find in Genesis chapter 12 when God made a promise to Abraham and said, in you, it's Genesis 12 verse 3, I believe, all families of the earth will be blessed. Galatians chapter 3, if I'm correct, it's verse 8. He said, God preached the grace of God, preached the gospel to Abraham. But I want to take you a little farther. I want to take you to the next major turn, right? All of those were major turns in humanity, from innocence to conscience, from conscience to human government, right? From human government to the human family to promise, from promise to law. And I want to go to Exodus chapter 33 and look a little bit here in the life of Moses. In Genesis or Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says... The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Did you know what? That is the grace of God. God spoke to Moses as his friend, and he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Verse 12, And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say unto me, Bring up this people, and you have not let me know who you will send with me, yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found grace. This is God speaking to Moses. You have found grace in my sight. 
Verse 13, and now therefore, I pray you, if I have found, this is Moses speaking back, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you. Did you know the ultimate goal of the gospel is to know God, is to know Christ? Paul talked about that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus talked about it in John 17, verse 3. That I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said unto him, if your presence goes, does not go with me, carry us not up from this place. For wherein shall it be known here that I and your people have found grace in your sight? Is it not that you go with us so we will be separated, I and your people, from all the people that are on the face of the earth? And the Lord said, I will do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Praise God. So we just, you can just go through and you can see grace, right, in Genesis 3. You can see grace in Genesis chapter 6. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You can see grace in Genesis 12 when God made a promise to Abraham because that's what Paul calls it in, uh, in Galatians chapter 3. And here you can see grace. Amen? In the life of Moses. And notice what it goes on to say in verse 18. He said, I beseech you, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord before you and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. God is a God of grace. And he has always been a God of grace. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, you cannot see my face, for there will be no man who see me and live. Now, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but I want you to remember this scripture. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand upon a rock. Who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. So Jesus ultimately is the grace of God. He's the embodiment of grace. And it will come to pass while my glory passes by you, I will put you in a cliff of the rock and cover you with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand and you will see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now go on down to chapter 34, verse 5 through 7. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So this is what God is declaring himself to be. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. How many of you glad that God is a merciful God? He's a gracious God. He's a God who's abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He goes on to say, That will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon children, upon children, children to the third and fourth generation. What he's saying essentially is sin, even though God is a gracious God, sin still has to be reckoned with. Still, sin still has to be paid for. Amen? Now, to, if anyone in here believes in generational curses, I want to tell you Pastor Lawson does not believe in generational curses and there's absolutely no scripture in the New Testament that supports that teaching whatsoever. 1 John 5 verse 1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. 
And if you are born of God, I have a question for you. What generational curse can you inherit from God your Father? You can't. And this is the problem with a lot of people in the church. They believe what they believe no matter what the Bible says. And you, get, you need to start... See, the New Testament was written about 90% about who you are in the Spirit. And if you begin to see that, it will change how you relate to God. But the reason I don't teach generational curses, number one, I don't believe it. But number two is people use it. It's a sorry excuse to just let the devil take advantage of you. And it is a lie from the devil. Amen? But God is a God of grace. He always has been. He always will be. He is a good, gracious, loving, merciful Father, period. Not only is God a God of grace, Jesus came, and Jesus is the embodiment of the grace of God. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, John says this, The Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the embodiment of grace. He is full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried, saying, This is of he whom I spoke. He who comes after me is preferred before me. Jesus was in the beginning with the Father creating all things. For he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. Now, there's a couple of ways you can look at verse 16. First of all, you can talk about you've received grace, and you've received grace to accomplish the grace that's on your life. That's one aspect of that. Another way you can look at it, are there different measures of grace? There's a grace for salvation. There's grace for sanctification. There's grace for eternity. Praise God. There's grace for living. Amen? There's grace gifting. There's grace gifts. There's all different kinds of grace, and you need them all working in your life. Then he says this, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, I want to show you a gospel equation from this scripture. Grace plus truth equals Jesus who gives us life. However, truth minus grace equals law which produces death. So if you approach the truth of God's word without the grace of God, what will happen is it will not produce life, it will produce death. Now, when we're in the world, guess what? The world is crazy. We see a lot of crazy in the world. Now, that scripture in Hebrews 5 verse 2 says that he can have compassion on the ignorant and those who are out of the way, wayward and lost. Amen? But if you approach truth and you have no grace, it's law, and that ultimately produces death. If you approach the truth of the Word of God with the grace of God, grace plus truth equals Jesus who produces life. 
Now, I was born again when I was eight years old in 1972. In 1978, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was 14 years old and called to preach. But it wasn't until 1994, after I'd been pastoring for six years, that I got a revelation of grace. And when I got a revelation of grace, it completely changed my life. It changed how I dealt with my wife. It changed how I dealt with my children. It changed how I dealt with my church. It changed how I saw people. It changed me. In fact, Barbara says that it, before I got a revelation of grace that I was very hard to live with. And I would say I would agree with that. I would also, and she also says that if I would not have received a revelation of grace, that she doesn't believe our children would be serving God and serving Christ like they are today. The grace of God changed me, and this is how I got a revelation of grace. Andrew Womack came to Kit Carson. He was preaching for me. He was preaching from the book of Romans. And when he was preaching about it, he used this example. He said, if you have a plate glass window, it doesn't matter whether you shoot a BB through it or drive a Mack truck through it. It's been broken. And the only way that you can fix it is you, have, is you have to replace it. It has to be completely made new. And it's just like that. It's just like revelation hit me. See, salvation is not about being the best you can be. Salvation is about God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ when he died and rose again. And when you got saved, you didn't get just fixed up. You're not an old junker that, you know, you ground the paint off of and, and, and put a little Bondo on and cleaned it up and fixed you up and, and repainted you and made you look better. You are a brand new creation in Christ. And when you got born again, that's exactly what happened. In your spirit, you became a brand new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and the beginning of verse 18 says, Therefore, if any person be in Christ, the same has become a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. If you have a choice of getting a car that has a salvage title given to you and getting an old junk, you know, or, or getting a brand new one. Amen? That doesn't have all these problems that are hidden that you can't see. Guess what you want? You want a brand new one. You're not just an old clunker that, you know what? I am not talking about a self-help program. I am not talking about being the best you can be. I am talking about Jesus. I am talking about becoming an absolute new creation in Christ. I'm talking about regeneration in the spirit. Hallelujah. You see, when God spoke to Abraham, 
Let's go here and let me show you something in Romans chapter 4. I'm all over the place today, but just let me show you something in Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, I made you a father of many nations before whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. That's really talking about salvation. And he's talking about when Abraham and Isaac or Sarah received Isaac. You know what? Abraham and Sarah in their own strength could not produce Isaac. Isaac was not about Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was about God working the impossible in, in their life. It was God doing something that they could not do for themselves. Isaac was not Abraham and Sarah in their strength. Ishmael was Abraham and Sarah in their strength. Ishmael was the law. Ishmael was the flesh. Ishmael was the old life. But Isaac is brand new. And I am talking about God doing an impossible thing for you when you believe. See, God speaks his word into impossible situations. And you believe it and it changes your life. Judy, stand up. Judy's here today. Listen, the doctor said this spring that Judy was impossible, that she was going to die. And you know what? Judy said, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm just going to believe God. And Judy stands here today healed by the grace of God. Amen. I'm here to tell you it's about an, a, a radical intervention in an impossible situation. That's what I'm talking to you about. I'm talking to you about Jesus. I'm not talking to you about being a better you. I'm talking ab about being a brand new you in Christ. I'm talking to you about the gospel. I'm talking to you about the word of God. I'm talking about an impartation of the Spirit of God that comes from God the Father to you as His child and transforms you and changes you on the inside into His image. And when you begin to understand that, it'll change your life. So, truth plus grace equals Jesus, which brings life. But truth minus grace equals law that produces death. Now listen, before I got a revelation of grace, I could use the word, and I know how to use the word like a hammer. Jeremiah talks about the word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And listen, I can take the Bible and I can beat most people into shreds, but it doesn't produce life. When you approach the truth without grace, some people you have no grace. I've seen people, all they can do is focus on what somebody does wrong. And listen, everybody does things wrong. When you approach the truth without grace, what it is is law and it produces death. And we all, everybody say we all need grace. But that's kind of how I was before I got a revelation of grace. I used the word like a hammer. But you can also use the word like a mirror. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let me show you something here. We'll start in verse something, 14 to 16, somewhere in there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
What Paul is doing in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he's comparing the law and grace. How many of you know there is a glory on the law? In fact, I am amazed sometimes how people are enamored with legalistic teaching, law-based, performance-based teaching that's not really based in the grace of God. But did you know what? If you'll study this, there was a glory on the law. When Moses came off that mountain, his face shined so bright, they couldn't look at him. 3,000 people died when the law was given. When the Spirit was given and the church was born, 3,000 people got saved. But he says here, if I get to 2 Corinthians, that'd be better. I'm getting closer. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Actually, let's start in verse 14. Their minds were blinded, for until this day there remains the same veil untaken away in reading the Old Testament when the veil is done away with Christ, in Christ. When people read the Bible and don't have a revelation of the love of God, it's like the veil has not been removed. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is on their heart. He's talking about primarily unsaved people. When they read the Word, they have no revelation, and it, it's a veil. But he says, now the Lord is that Spirit. When their heart turns to the Lord, the veil will be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, or there is freedom. It takes the Spirit of God to give you a revelation of the grace of God. And if the Spirit of God doesn't give you a revelation of the grace of God, you're never going to get it. And in verse 18, he says, We all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Here's what happens when you get a revelation of grace. You look into the Word and you see Jesus in the Word like looking in a mirror. You can also not only use the word like a hammer, you can use the word like a mirror and begin to show people Jesus in the mirror of the word. And when they realize that same Jesus is living in them, it changes how they live life because Christ in you is the hope of glory. We behold as in glass the glory of the Lord. We see Jesus and we're changed into the same image from glory to glory, from the glory of the law to the glory of grace, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Years ago, we had a Bible school teacher that taught with us at Karis Bible College. He was a good man. He loved God. He was born again. He loved people. He operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. However, he had no revelation of the gospel. He had no revelation of grace. And when he taught, it was very evident. In fact, one year we were having a meeting down at the Sheraton on the south side of Colorado Springs Circle and I-25. There was a Sheraton. They've changed it to something else now. And this man was up. It was Summer Family Bible Conference to teach before me, and I got to teach after him. And when he taught, it was terrible. In fact, there were some people there that were visiting from Tulsa, Oklahoma. They went to Bob Yannick's church, and they said, does he teach at the Bible school? And I said, yes. They said, we're not coming. I mean, it was literally that bad. I had the privilege of teaching right after him. Pastor Dean Melton was visiting from Charlotte, North Carolina, and I got up and, praise God, straightened it out a little bit. 
Pastor Dean said, I'm so glad you went after him and not me because that was a big mess to straighten up. But this guy, he, had, he was a great man. He loved God. He was born again. He operated in the gifts of the Spirit. He was a very good man. But he had no revelation of the gospel. You know there are people like that? And so I went and I got this teaching. In fact, it took me a long time, but one of the boys who grew up in my church gave me a teaching from a pastor down in the Phoenix area called Jesus Plus Nothing. And I got those teachings, those same teachings that one of the boys grew up in my church had given me, and that's after I got a revelation of grace, and I went and gave it to this man, put it on his desk, and then I told Andrew Walmack, I said, Andrew, I took this teaching on Jesus plus nothing from this certain pastor in the, Tulsa, or in the Phoenix area that taught the book of Galatians, and I put it on this person's desk. And Andrew told me this. He said, Lawson, he says, I've taught the grace of God all around the world, and I am convinced that if God doesn't give you a revelation of grace by the Spirit, you are not going to get it. And that's exactly what this scripture says. When your heart turns to the Lord, it's the Spirit of God that produces freedom. It's the Spirit of God that gives you a revelation of the grace of God. And my prayer for you in this church is that you not only know grace by doctrine, but you know grace by revelation. And another aspect of the revelation of grace is this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. You see, the gospel is not about being the best you can be. The gospel is not about you and Jesus. The gospel is not about Jesus plus you or Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus law keeping or Jesus plus church going or Jesus plus Bible reading. It, it's just about Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen? In fact, Paul said this about my flesh. He said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. And that's in Romans chapter 7. What he's saying in Romans 5, you, he says, when you believed on Jesus, you went from the reign of sin and death to the reign of grace and righteousness by faith in Jesus. He says, since you did that, now you're dead to sin because sin will kill you. Romans 7, but he said in Romans, Romans 6, but in Romans 7, he says you're dead to the law because just like sin will kill you, legalism will kill you. And if you're trying to be the best you can be, and if it's all about how much you read and how much you pray and how much you give and how much you go to church and how much you love your neighbor and how much, guess what? You're going to fail because you're not good enough apart from Jesus. Amen. And nobody else is either. Amen. But when you begin to understand that you came into Christ, and this is where we move to in Romans chapter 8, is that Christ is now living in you. Romans 8, 9 says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And you have this brand new life in Christ. And Christ is living on the inside of you. When you begin to understand that, you find out that the love of God, Romans 5 verse 5 says, is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost that's given to you. Not only is the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, you have all of the fruit of the Spirit in you in Christ. And when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you have the exact same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead living in you. And when you study Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, it says the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. 
The first three, love, joy, and peace, are primarily about your relationship with God. The second three, long-suffering or patience, gentleness, and goodness, are primarily about your relationship with other people. The last three, faith, meekness, and temperance, are primarily about your relationship with yourself. Now, when you think about those middle three, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, I was going to preach a message about 15 to 20 years ago, and my boys were living in my house, and Barbara, they asked me, Dad, what you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on patience, and they all laughed. <laughs> because they know that I'm not the most patient person. Now, I'm getting more patient. Even some of my staff that's been around here tell me I'm doing much better. There are things that really bug me. It bugs me to have the air conditioning running, somebody standing there just holding the doors wide open, or the heat running, somebody just let them. We went to a restaurant last night, and it's a nice restaurant, and it's air conditioned, they, but it's not a very big place, and they had one big door open over here, and, one, and it was hot in there, and I went over and shut the door. I said, these employees, hallelujah. <laughs> And a little bit later, they had a singer that was coming to the restaurant, and she came and opened the door. I said, I said, you still got, because she's bringing in stuff. I said, you got more stuff to bring in? She said, yeah. I said, could you please shut it when you're done? Guess what? She just let it, left it wide open. I didn't have the most compassion. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Long-suffering, Pastor Lawson, I got hot <laughs> in more ways than one. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, amen, come from God, and they're towards people, and you have that in your spirit. And you guess what? In the fruit of the Spirit, you need to grow, even though you have it in you in Christ, you need to grow in the operation of it. Now, if we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we were, I want to show you something. If you look, read John chapter 1, verse 18, he goes on to say that no man has seen God at any time but the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father. He has revealed Him. What that says, because I wanted to relate that back to Exodus, is no man, if you study the word seen in the Greek, it means nobody has fully comprehended and understood who God the Father is, but Jesus came to put a face on God. He came to show us God. Amen? And now you find out that not only did God have compassion, did Christ have compassion, but guess what? You have compassion. If you're born again, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. And when we look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, notice what it says. It says, for the love of Christ constrains us, because thus we judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. One translation of that says, the love of Christ has me in a straight jacket. Have you ever seen somebody in a straight jacket? You can't do what you want to do. In other words, you, you need to let the love of God call the shots. And sometimes I'm telling you, you don't want to love people. Right? So you need to let the love of God call the shots. And he says, if, if Christ died for all, then you died in Christ. You're not your own. You're to glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God. In that he died for all, those should live from this point 
should not live to themselves, but live for him who died for them and rose again. Listen, my life's not my own. I am to live for Jesus. I'm to let love guide me. I'm to let love lead me. I'm to let love help me make the choices, the love of God in me. Then he says, he says, wherefore, from now on, we know no man after the flesh. You cannot just judge people after the flesh. If you judge people after the flesh, you're, you're going to fail. And we tend to judge other people by our actions and ourselves by our intentions, and we need to turn that around, and you get a lot more compassionate with other people. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, now, yet from now on we know him no more. In other words, if you're going to really understand Jesus, you can't just know him as a physical person. You've got to get a revelation by the Spirit. And you've got to begin to judge people not after the flesh, but you've got to begin to see them in the realm of the Spirit. In fact, I want to show you a scripture right here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. It says this, and it's talking about letting the mind of Christ lead us. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, when I'm making decisions, I need to make a decision not only about what's good for me, but I need to realize what's best for every other person involved. So when I make a decision in my family, when Barbara and I make a decision, we're not only thinking when our kids were young, what's good for Lawson and Barbara, we're thinking about what's good for Aaron, Andrew, and Peter. We're thinking about our children. When we make a decision, we don't only think about what's good for us, but we think about what is good for the body of Christ. What is good for the church? What does God want? And if we'll start thinking just about other people, what's the best for my boss? What's the best for my place of work? What's the best for my family? What's the best for my church? What's the best for the other people involved in this situation? We're going to make better decisions. Can I show you another scripture? Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll look at two verses, verse 7 and verse 11. Paul says this, We were gentle among you even as a nurse cherishes her children. Gentle as a nurse. How many of you have compassion for a little baby? A nurse cherishes her own children. He says in verse 11, as you know that we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Most of us have grace for our own children. Sometimes it's hard to have grace for a sibling like you understand the parent has grace for them. In fact, you can choose your friends. Sometimes you can't choose your, you can't choose your family. And usually every family has some uh, challenging circumstances. Right? But one of my good friends who had a sibling that was very challenging told me, the Lord showed me that it's my mother's job to love her children, no matter how challenging they are, because that's what a mama does. Mama loves her children. Amen? And so some of us have to learn those lessons, right? I want to show you, can I show you one more scripture? Actually, I'll show you two. Turn with me really quickly to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to read this from another translation in verse 8. He says, now this is the goal. To live in, he's really talking about the home and the marriage. To live in harmony with one another. You know, the Bible says, follow peace with all men 
in Hebrews, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It says in another place, live peaceably with all men as much as is possible. We're talking about having compassion on ignorant people and those who are out of the way or ignorant. This is the goal, to live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness toward other believers. Let humility describe who you are as you dearly love one another. We need to have the God kind of love prevalent and first and foremost in our life. You know, David said in Psalm chapter 18, verse 35, your gentleness has made me great. And I believe that when we walk in this compassion, this love, this gentleness, this goodness of God, it really makes us great. Can I show you one other scripture? I've read this at least 50 times. But the other day when I read it, it just came alive to me. 2 Corinthians 12, and I'll read verse 14 to 19. Paul says, Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours. I don't really, I'm not seeking what you have to give to me. But I want you, as the children, Paul was a spiritual father, should not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Paul says this in Romans 1. He says, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you to the end that you might be edified. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Paul said, I love to work. I love to serve people. Guess what? Pastor Lawson loves to work. I get to do this. I get to do it. I don't have to do it. I get to do it. And it's not just preaching. Amen? I was over here last Saturday, and I was mowing the grass on the hills because my person that helps me at the church has been doing a lot of things and helping me, and I just wanted to help them a little bit. I get to do this. I don't have to do it. I get to do it. I get to love people. I get to serve people. I get to... Did you get this? I'll gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I have seen that. Some people, no matter how much you love them, no matter how much you give to them, no matter how much you do for them, something is wrong with them on the inside, and because of that, their brain just doesn't work right. In fact, I heard Lester Summerall say this, and I found it to be true. Some people that we do the most for do almost nothing for us, in fact, I've had some of them turn on me and over attack me and actually try to destroy the church when we've been very kind and gracious. It's unreal to me how people act sometimes. And I'm telling you, your flesh, I'm talking about your spirit, Paul said, in my flesh, dwells no good. Your flesh wants to reach out and uh, give them some law. <laughs> I used examples in the first service and I was... Uh, corrected by my family. <laughs> so he says this, he says, but be it so, I did not burden you nevertheless being crafty. He said, I caught you with deceit. You're deceitful. Did I make gain of you by any of them who I sent unto you? I sent Titus. I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make gain of you? Didn't we walk in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same? In other words, Paul says, I'm not in this for what I can get. I'm in this for what I can give. And finally, he says in verse 19, again, think you that we excuse ourselves to you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. Here's the goal. 
We want to build you up and not tear you down. Lester said this, you read in Jeremiah, you're to root out and tear down and then you're to build and to plant. He said anybody can tear something down. But he says it takes a wise person to build something. And I'm telling you what I'm, what I'm seeking to do, what I'm learning to do, what I'm trying to do is some of these people who've been hard and difficult to love, who have despitefully used us, so on and so forth, I'm seeking with everything in me to look at and find one good thing or maybe a few good things that they did right <laughs> and just focus on that. And some of those people who at one time my flesh really wanted to get them. Amen? I have completely forgiven them. And I have let it go. Because the goal is really this. Just let Jesus live his life big in you. Let Jesus love people through you. I love you. I bless you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.